Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Good afternoon, Sherry. How are you? I'm doing very well, Mike. How are you? I cannot complain. Beautiful day. It is. It's a beautiful day here in the Panhandle. Today on our podcast, I am so delighted to welcome Tom Spooner. He is retired Special Forces and the co-founder of Warrior's Heart. Warrior's Heart is a treatment center located outside of San Antonio, Texas, exclusive to active duty military, veterans, and first responders, utilizing a variety of treatment programs to treat warriors who seek relief from their addictions and PTSD. Tom, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me, Sherry. Well, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with us today. And we always like to start by you telling us a little bit about yourself. So tell us where you grew up and what led you to a career in the military. Okay. Um, so I grew up in a little town uh, in South Florida called Belglade. Uh, in case you don't know where that is, it's right next to Pahokee and Clewiston in South Bay. Probably don't know where any of those places either. Yeah, I was like, that small. Where's where the big city? <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm from a from a small town in South Florida, and then um, for most of the time, I lived there for 17 years, uh, and then uh, my parents ended up getting divorced uh, whenever I was 17, and then uh, my mom and brother and sister and I moved to uh, West Palm Beach, so we moved to the coast. Uh, for my senior year. So I grew up my whole life, you know, there in South Florida. And then um, I from as long as I can remember, I've always just wanted to be in the military. Um, I, I've just, that's the only thing that I wanted to do, you know, from military magazines to uh, just everything was about me joining the military. And then some of my uh, family members and motivators for that too was uh, I had a, a my grandfather on my mom's side was a World War II uh, veteran, and my uncle uh, was a three-tour Vietnam veteran. So, you know, those guys really drove me, uh, not by anything that they were saying, just by the lives that they lived. You know, it just, uh, that was really a lot of my motivation, uh, along with my own, of wanting to join the military. Right. So a lot of inspiration, I guess, from family members. And uh, sure was. What what led you to choosing the army? The army, well, because uh, my uncle was in the army and my grandfather was in the army. I had to think about that a second. Like, what were all the other ones? And uh, but it was mainly because they were in the army, and then uh, everything that I wanted to do, uh, you know, was in within the army. So it was uh, I didn't know or have any family members that were in other branches. Uh, I had a couple of uncles, uh, younger uncles, that were in the air force, and uh, and I mainly just wanted to be in the infantry and be a ranger, and uh, and that was in the army. Tom, you spent 21 years serving our country, and like so many of uh, today's warriors since 9-11, uh, this, this service that you provided to the nation did not come without uh, physical injury, invisible injuries, setbacks, reality checks, and uh, life-changing moves. 
One of the things that uh, you had discussed with us is that uh, you had battled alcoholism early in your Army career. Uh, could you talk about that? Uh, how, how did you know that that was an issue and you dealt with it kind of early? And how did you navigate uh, that challenge amongst all the other challenges that you had? Yeah, thanks. It, uh, it's something that I love talking about it because, you know, so far it has a happy ending. So that's a good thing. And, uh, but where I was, you know, I struggled with alcohol at, at a really young age. Uh, you know, I, I drank a lot at a young age. And, uh, but the thing about it was, is I was super highly functional. Um, so even whenever I first joined the military in 1990, uh, you know, I came in. Uh, went straight to the 82nd after basic AIT and jump school and uh, immediately went to the Gulf. And uh, as soon as I came back from the Gulf War, um, you know, my drinking got even more because I couldn't, number one, I didn't have any tools to deal with uh, the emotions uh, and mental states that would go on inside of me. Um, Alcohol is what uh, was my medicine. Uh, so alcohol really wasn't my problem. It was my solution uh, to what was going on inside. Uh, and then whenever I got back from combat, you know, and seeing all the things that you see in combat, it, uh, you know, that made my drinking even more. Um, but like I said, it's, I, I didn't get in any trouble. I, uh, I never got a DUI. Um, as far as in the military's eyes, I was, I was a golden boy. I ended up, you know, getting my E5, uh, being a jump master, uh, successfully completed ranger school, you know, all within the first two years of my enlistment. And, um, so I was super high functioning, but where it would come out for me was at home, you know, when my home life didn't match my, uh, my professional life, you know? And, uh, so that was where, uh, you know, the real struggles were about. And I didn't, and I didn't have any tools and I wasn't seeking any other tools. It was just, you know, the only thing that I was utilizing to cope or deal with uh, what was going on inside of me and in my personal life was just, uh, was just alcohol. And so, uh, you know, there came a point in time where no matter how good I was doing at work, my home life came apart. And, uh, and my wife and I, I mean, we were still really young, but, uh, you know, we got, uh, we got separated, uh, you know, and that was the wake up call for me because, uh, you know, I just truly loved my wife and, uh, you know, and she had, I don't want to say kicked me out of the house, but she asked me to leave, uh, and for good reason. And, you know, and that was a really big wake up call for me. Uh, you know, it was like, man, what am I doing with my life? Uh, whenever, uh, you know, the things that I love in my life, you know, uh, I was doing great in the military, which is what I loved. Uh, but, and I love my wife, but there was, I, I was failing horribly at it. And alcohol was a huge piece of that. Uh, so I decided to, uh, like, well, uh, maybe I need to look at this, you know, and, uh, and I sought outside help. Yeah. And, uh, I heard something recently and I thought it was pretty cool. They said, when, uh, when life sends you a wake up call, you need to take it and, I'm glad that you took yours. And how many years have you been sober now? So I got sober on September 2nd of 1992. So I've uh, been sober for uh, right a little over 28 years now. So, yeah, so the rest of my military career, so only two of it, you know, was I, uh, you know, was I drinking in that. And then, uh, and then, the, you know, the next 18 and a half years, uh, 
I, I was sober, you know, uh, in the military and special operations. And, uh, yeah. And it just made, you know, like I said, I was already doing really good whenever, uh, uh I was just highly functional. So once I got sober, then I was, I was able to deliver, you know, uh, everything that I needed to at home and at work. So it was just, it just enhanced everything. Well, Tom, what, what specific tools did you utilize to find sobriety? So uh, that's a great question. Is uh, So for me, it was, uh, you know, I had never ran into anything in my life uh, that I couldn't uh, accomplish on my own um, up until that point. And that was in me getting sober. So, you know, it was because uh, the thing that was keeping me from, from getting help and, you know, and getting sober was uh, a big part of it was my head. It's like, hey, how can I be so successful at work uh, and then such a failure at home? You know, it didn't make a lot of sense. I didn't have a whole bunch of DUIs. I, uh, you know, I wasn't homeless. I wasn't under the bridge. It was, it was kind of like, well, you know, how can this be? You know, but obviously that smacked me right in the face. And then uh, whenever I realized I had a problem, I said, well, I said to myself that, well, I'll just quit drinking, you know, I've done everything else I said I was going to do in my life, but that's, that's where the difference occurs. That's, that's what I always say. If someone's thinking they're having a a problem with, you know, alcohol, uh, my suggestion is, is just like, well, hell, just quit drinking, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's causing all the problems that are in your life and you stop drinking, well, then you won't have any more problems if drinking is the problem. You see, but that's the difference that makes between an alcoholic and, and someone who's not an alcoholic is, is that, you know, when I quit drinking, things got bad. And then when longer I kept not drinking, they got worse, (laughs) you know, and then they got intolerable uh, because, and then that's what drove me to seeking help. So for me, I went to, uh, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, uh, That's where, that's where I went because I didn't, I didn't know what else to do, you know? Uh, And so the back to your question, as far as the tools that I used was, you know, just the basic pieces. And that was that, you know, I went to meetings, I got a, a sponsor, which is kind of like a mentor, you know, that teaches you how to stay sober. Uh, and you do the 12 steps out of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, and I got sober and that, yeah, I didn't do it on my own. Uh, that is for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Tom, you're a combat veteran and deployed many times. Um, you, you conquered and you conquered alcoholism. And as mentioned before, you know, you also endured physical, mental, and emotional tolls that were a different beast to tackle, so to speak. Um, After realizing at some point in your career that you were not uh, cognitively functioning at the high level that you were used to, um, when, when when did that start happening and what did you do? Talk about your journey to investigate it. Uh, the symptoms, and ultimately, how did you find out what was going on there? Yeah, so that's, um, yeah, so after, it was probably, well, the, uh, I had a significant um, event happen on uh, September the 1st of 2006, and uh, and that was uh, in combat whenever I had, there was an 82-millimeter mortar round that landed probably 20 yards from where I was standing, and at that time, I received a uh, mild traumatic brain injury. 
which I didn't know at the time. Um, but it's, it was definitely a definitive, a hundred percent definitive moment. Like I can define on how I thought and felt, you know, prior to that moment and how I thought and felt post that moment. And, um, but the thing was that that was 2006 timeframe, you know, and there was a, uh, you know, it was bloody Oh five Oh six, you know, there was a lot of war going on and, and, you know, most of the people that I worked with and that I knew had been blown up or, you know, had been in around all that stuff. So it was kind of just like business as usual. Uh, but I did notice in myself that, that something was a little bit different. Um, I was having a little bit more of mood swings at times, which was new because I was uh, pretty stable. And again, none of it affected my job. Uh, to any degree, it was just stuff that I, that I noticed about myself. Uh, and I couldn't cognitively, there was some things I couldn't remember that well. And, uh, and I lost the, the ability to kind of visualize, uh, not like a photographic memory, but, uh, you know, just kind of visualize a map sheet, you know, where their critical points are and stuff like that. But, you know, in typical folks like me fashion, you know, you just figure out a new way of doing it and you keep mm-hmm. on going. And, um, so that worked, uh, for several years, you know, um, probably till about 2010, but, you know, whenever I had that brain injury and then, you know, I got several more concussions on top of that, uh, mainly from explosive breaching, you know, and other explosives. And, um, so then, you know, I mean, it all kind of piled up that, traumatic brain injury piece. And also I had a, uh, you know, a good amount of post-traumatic stress going on uh, just because of the nature of the profession and all the different things that we had been involved in uh, and that I personally had been involved in. So it, um, you know, there, you know, the symptoms weren't too bad there for a good amount of time. And then, um, and then around 2010 timeframe, you know, I started cognitively really not doing good where, uh, where I wouldn't uh, know where I was at times. Uh, like from where I worked to my front door is about a 20 minute drive and you only have to make about three turns. And, uh, and I would have to plug in my address into a GPS. It was 2010 timeframe. So there wasn't an iPhone yet. So it was, uh, you know, had the GPSs, but, yeah, I was I was not I was not doing well cognitively and like I said and had big emotional uh kind of inappropriate mood swings. And when I say inappropriate, I mean like I would get super furious about something that really wasn't that big of a deal. Uh I wasn't acting imp- inappropriately, thank God for mm-hmm. me and my family, but it was like I would even notice these huge responses and uh you know, and then yet again for another time in my life, uh, you know, I was like, man, I'm in a, I'm in a tough spot. You know, I'm, I'm in a, I am not in a good spot. And no matter what I'm trying to do uh, positively and healthily, uh, it's not helping. Mm-hmm. And one of the main things that got me, uh, you know, to seeking help again was not me. It was, uh, you know, one of my best friends who's also a warrior, you know, whenever he's just like, man, you have got to, you know, he said, Hey, you're all screwed up. You need to go get some help. And I was like, well, I don't think so. Everybody I know is like me, you know, and we seem to be doing all right, but it was, you know, he loved me and cared for me. And other than just, 
from the fact of like, yeah, I was performing great at work. You know, uh, he cared about me. He cared about my family and my well-being, you know, so he just stayed on me. And yet again, you know, it was another warrior that helped uh, save the day, you know, and then, uh, and then I, from that point, you know, whenever I realized that, wow, you know, I'm not really doing that well cognitively or emotionally and I need to uh, seek help, which was, again, like we had talked about with my sobriety, I was, I was comfortable with seeking help. It wasn't a, it wasn't any ego uh, thing about me or, you know, afraid to ask for help or anything. The, the thing that was stopping me from asking for help uh, was that undiagnosed TBI that I have, which affects uh, you know, my, my executive functioning, which means I'm not making good decisions. You know, I couldn't figure out that like, Hey, how did I go from the guy that's always helping people to the guy that now needs help? Uh, I just couldn't compute it. I was, and again, it didn't have to have to do with ego or anything because, you know, I sought help regularly. And, uh, and so, but once again, my buddy pushed me, kind of over the edge as far as getting help, you know, it was, uh, I, I got into it the same way I did like everything in my military career, you know, went to cognitive therapy, vestibular therapy, uh, psychological therapy, physical therapy. Uh, there wasn't many therapies I wasn't a part of, uh, there for about a good solid eight months. And, uh, and I even needed to get on, uh, meds. I even got on Zoloft for about eight months, uh, just because my chemistry, my physiology, you know, everything was off, uh, and I just needed to reset. And uh, and I was able to do that. Also, for me, is it was near, it was at the end of my career, uh, so it was much easier for me also to to transition into okay. Now I need to I need to get some tools, just like I needed the tools for sobriety. You know, now I needed the tools. Uh, you know, and handling this cognition problem that I had going on and tools for handling, uh, you know, my emotions. And that's what all those therapies did. But I'm here to tell you the only reason why all that stuff worked is because I wasn't self-medicating myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd already had had tools for that, you know, thank God, um, because there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that uh, that I wouldn't have made it through uh, that phase of learning Uh if I was if I was drinking or using drugs, yeah, they kind of contradict one another, right, Tom? I mean, you can't. You, Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, that part of your story in regards to your um, TBI and the cognitive functioning that you felt was was waning. And uh, so glad you got help, and also kudos to your buddy for pushing you to do that. Um, a lot of times. I would imagine that's that's what makes you know the difference is that somebody cares and and wants to see that you get help because they know that maybe you're not the the person that you once were and that you're striving to still be that person but there's a little bit of difficulty and finding the cause is really really important. Absolutely and then and then the uh the unsung hero in my whole story you know, is my wife, mm-hmm. you know, who threw out all of that stuff, uh, you know, especially, you know, well, throughout all of it, and especially at the end, you know, the ability to, that's where I have a leg up on other people in my mind, you mm-hmm. know, because I have mm-hmm. uh, my amazing wife, you know, who just provided love and support, 
Uh, and what I mean by love and support, you know, whenever it was time for me to get off my ass, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she made sure I, I did that, you know, it was real love. And then when it was time for, you know, just encouragement, it was that piece. But between, right. like you said, that warrior buddy of mine and my family, you know, uh, and I added my willingness. Of course, I had to be willingness, but I mean, I'm here to tell you that to date, the only reason why I'm here is because the people that I have in my life, mm-hmm. um, you know, in all facets. Right, right. And sometimes that requires tough love and, and being told um, or asked questions that you don't necessarily want to answer or face. But um, thank goodness for those people. And, and your wife sounds like a, a wonderful, wonderful person. <laughs> Yeah, she is. And, and they, you know, her and I have two sons. I mean, they're young men now, but they weren't then. They were younger. And, uh, you know, they they were the reason, because everybody talks about purpose and everybody talks about having a mission, you know, and uh, post-military, you know, it's like, okay, I don't have the military mission anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not in uniform anymore. Like, okay, so I need a new mission statement. You know, and for me, it was very simple because, you know, I have my family, I have my sobriety, uh, you know, so it was like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, make sure that their lives are great, you know, mine too. uh, Mm -hmm. But also that was, you know, my, my next mission was, hey, to be able to provide for them everything that they need and not just finances, but emotional and mental and spiritual support also, you know. Right, right. Well, after, what would you consider like the most um, helpful treatment that you found for your TBI, Tom? Is there anything, is there one treatment that stands out? I know that we've, we talked on our pre-call together that, you know, we're very much believers about there not being just one, a one-size-fits-all sort of thing or a therapy or, or a modality that you can utilize to improve your health. So you have to really find what works best for you. What is, mm-hmm. can you speak to that and what, and share with our listeners what you found that was very helpful? Absolutely. And on the, uh, on the TBI uh, aspect of it, you know, because for, for me, it was just like how it, how it worked out, but, it, but how it worked out was perfect. And that was, is that, uh, you know, we, uh, we're, we have to treat it holistically. And what I mean by that is mind, body, spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. So whenever I was getting my, my TBI treatment, you know, I was also, you know, so that was handling the, and I call it the mechanical, it's just my words, but you know, the cognition and the mechanical pieces of my brain, you know, was being addressed. Uh, but then I also had to address the other parts of me, which was my mental and emotional well-being, which I was doing that with a therapist at the time, uh, you know, in my support groups, you know. And then spiritually-wise, for me, you know, it was the practice of the 12 steps and and, every, and some other things. But it was, when it came to the TBI aspect of it, uh, I tried initially what, what worked for me because I was, again, coming from less than zero was, was I went to the Fort Bragg TBI clinic and I had a cognitive therapist and I had a speech therapist, uh, and I had a vestibular therapist. So that was, you know, basically just getting my fundamentals kind of in check, um, which was, was huge. And then, um, and then from that, I, I started trying 
pretty much anything that was out there uh, other than hallucinogenics um, and some other things. But it was, uh, I, re- I tried uh, the hyperbaric chamber, um, and, and that was, it was helpful for my body and all the injuries that I had in my body, uh, but it wasn't helpful for, for my brain injuries and what happened to my, to me. Uh, however, I know some of my really good buddies that, you know, that that was absolutely life-changing. So I just kept trying different therapies. And uh, the one that I found for me, uh, not until 2017, um, but it's uh, it's a company called Wave Neuro. Um, and they, they call them the brain treatment centers. And uh, they use what they call a form of TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation. And it's basically electro magnetic aspect it's not shock therapy uh, so no one needs to be afraid of that piece of it but it was absolutely um, life-changing for me Uh, it probably increased in 2017 which wasn't too long ago you know it increased the quality of my life and my family's life by an easy 30 percent after eight weeks you know of treatment and so that for me, when it comes to the pure TBI aspect of it, and also for the uh, anxiety aspect of it too, you know, that was the therapy that helped the most for me. Mm-hmm. But again, that was, I can't just do that and not address my mind, body, and spirit, you know? So to me, it was always been this, this holistic approach of, of like, I have to you know, getting really good at one thing, like I had already played that game before, you know, where I got really good at my job, but I was, you know, I was getting crushed in my home life, you know, Mm -hmm. so I I learned that, you know, being lopsided doesn't work uh, for sustained operations, you know, in order to, you have to have balance in there uh, is what I learned. I didn't know that, but it was, uh, but sorry, back to your question was that was the the biggest thing that helped me uh, on the TBI aspect. Mm-hmm. Tom, thank you so much for sharing your story and your experiences, because all of that culminated into you becoming the co-founder of Warrior's Heart. And Sherry and I are huge proponents of Warrior's Heart because we've seen this program in action. And uh, we can personally attest that it has changed the lives of some of our veterans for the better. Could you tell us about this amazing organization? How did, how did Warriors Heart get started? And how do you and your staff help warriors and first responders get better? Thanks. Yeah, the, uh, so how it got Warriors Heart, you know, is uh, something that I'm just absolutely proud of. I did a lot of things. Whenever I, I got out of the military, you know, continued training law enforcement and everything. And, uh, but my true passion, you know, and that got started was at Warrior's Heart. And, uh, and so Warrior's Heart is in Bandera, Texas. It's a 543 acre ranch. And, um, we opened up in April of 2016. Uh, and since we've been open up to date, we've had about 1,500 warriors, uh, come through Warrior's Heart. And, um, you know, its primary diagnosis is chemical dependencies. Uh, and the reason why that is, 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 uh, obviously it comes out of my story, uh, uh-huh. because, uh, you know, that's what I'm really passionate about is sobriety and what I found, uh, through my own experience, uh, with all the wonderful other rehabilitation measures that are out there, 
whether it comes to wave neuro with the TBI or EMDR or any other kind of spiritual remedies, you know, if, if, if you're self-medicating, none of that stuff works. Yes. <laughs> you know, and then when it comes to the veteran suicide rate, you know, of 22 or in the 20s a day, uh, you know, the majority of those folks, uh, I won't say all of them, but majority of them, you know, were taking or using something when the act occurred. So that was a big driver for me was, you know, most of our types, if, uh, you know, if they decide to take their own lives, you know, they just do it. Um, it's not a cry for help or anything. So there's no way to really get in front of that other than by identifying that, hey, the precursor for that that was happening was this self-medication aspect, you know, of, to some degree. And so, you know, Warrior's Heart fit, my passion is fit, uh, the current, some of the current problems that are going on with our population. And again, it gave me mission and purpose. You know, I was an NCO, so I understand mission and I understand health and welfare of the troops, you know. So I just transitioned into that, which I always knew. And, uh, and that's what we do uh, out at Warrior's Heart. It's a 42-day inpatient treatment um, to create sober, confident warriors. Uh, it's a training program. We get them cleaned up, trained up, and then back into the fight uh, of their lives. So a, a typical stay is, is 42 days, and tell us about mm-hmm. the, the program offerings. Uh, most of the, uh, the folks who come to Warrior's Heart, they're dealing with dual, like one would be probably the PTS, and the other would be, of course, the, the substance abuse. And you work on the substance abuse and the PTS at the same time. Talk to us about um, the program offerings that you have there. What does a typical stay look like? Just, just to get that conversation going about what you guys do there. Absolutely, yeah. And the uh, like you'd mentioned, they call it, you know, in uh, dual diagnosis. So basically, in layman's terms, what that means is, is that you know, folks that are struggling with alcohol or drugs, you know, and then they have a lot of trauma. So the question will arise, like, okay, well, is it the trauma that's making them drink and use drugs, or is it the drinking and drugging that brings up the trauma? And the answer is, who cares? You know, it's the chicken or the egg mm-hmm. with that. Like, uh, so what we do uh, is we mitigate the risk of misdiagnosing because, and we just treat both. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have chemical dependency counselors, um, and that, like I said, is the primary on that one and all the programming that goes with that. And then we also have our trauma counselors, you know, that absolutely address the trauma and in trauma groups. So that's what makes Warriors Heart really different. A uh, few reasons is, number one, it's only warriors that can come out there. And then number two, um, it does treat, you know, with four one-on-ones a, a week plus all the groups of the trauma aspect and the uh, the trauma piece of it. You know, and even in dealing with the trauma, you know, there's vast different approaches uh, in treating trauma and in our population, in the warrior's population, you know, basically if you broke down PTS into two categories, you know, there's victims and then there's volunteers. Um, and although the same kind of healing modalities need to occur, the the, the approach is much different. Uh, so, you know, all of our folks that were out there, you know, I mean, they're volunteered uh, for the jobs and professions they had that put them in a position uh, to receive that trauma, you know, so the approach that we have is very different because we approach them, um, you know, I mean, as, as that, 
And then, um, you know, there's a way that warriors heal. Uh, you know, everybody heals a different way, but, um, you know, there's, there's a certain aspects of, uh, of what we do out there. Like we mentioned, the dual diagnosis and healing that part. But then also, you know, we have a metal shop and we have a wood shop and we have an art shop and we have, uh, two lakes that we go bass fishing in because, you know, we can only do that super hard and courageous, uh, emotional and mental work uh, for a certain amount of time, you know, and then the, a decompression needs to occur in the in time and space to process it all. And, um, so we, we lump all that stuff in there together, uh, out at warrior's heart. Uh, and it's all based off of evidence-based modalities. And, it, and for us, it's experience-based, uh, because I am the population that's out there. Um, so it's really easy to be able to connect and understand uh, what modalities work and don't mm-hmm. work. Well, uh, thank you for pointing out that bass fishing is a recognized modality. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely it is. Uh, you got me there. I like that one. Um, <laughs> yep. When you have somebody graduate from Warrior's Heart after their stay there, what kind of uh, follow-up care do you offer? What does that look like for them? Yeah, so, you know, like any uh, any training course that you go to, you know, when you complete it, it produces something, uh, you know, and, and what we produce at Warrior's Heart, as long as the guys or gals, you know, are into the, the aspect of their training while they're there, is we create sober, confident warriors. Um, you know, we meet uh, everyone where they are when they come to us. And, and the reason why I say that is, is it's a very large spectrum uh, from – Hey, we have a, an active duty uh, military guy uh, that's just struggling, but he hadn't been in any trouble. Uh, you know, nothing's going on, but he knows he needs it. So that's at a certain level, you know, all the way down to a homeless veteran. And when I say homeless veteran, meaning they've been homeless for, you know, five years and now they're coming to us. So there's a wide variety gap in there. The good thing is, is that, you know, we're principally based. So we just heal it to the way that we do. So whenever, they finish the program and back to your question on what we call the continuation of care. Uh, there is again, just like the spectrum that we meet them on, uh, there's a spectrum for how they leave. Mm-hmm. So some of our warriors, when they come to us, you know, they'll get cleaned up, get trained up and right back, you know, to active duty or being an active firefighter or, you know, they leave us and go back home, uh, and continue, uh, to live, uh, sober, confident warriors. And then we have other folks that need a little bit more training or their situation in life is so situated that they need a little, uh, what we call a step-down approach, you know, and with that, we offer uh, intensive outpatient treatment, uh, which is basically uh, half of a day uh, treatment from, you know, 8.30 to 12. Um, And then the other thing that we offer is sober living, which is just very structured living, but a good, clean, healthy, sober environment. So everybody, just like the options whenever they come to us, they have options whenever they leave. And again, it's adjusted to whatever each warrior needs. It's not just a cookie cutter kind of option because we know that that does not work for human beings, you know. Right. And uh, I believe when we had spoken earlier, you, you had discussed, which I, or told us, and I, I thought this was pretty uh, interesting and really cool, is that wherever the uh, individual lives, 
you can work uh, with their local providers or even with a, you have a, a program where you can help them there locally. Like you can get, get care for them, excuse me, at the local level. Absolutely. So whenever, uh, that's, that's what we do. Whenever, uh, before they leave uh, Warrior's Heart, uh, they're, they're working on a mission file there and it's called Mission My Life. And, uh, and it's their life. Uh, and within that file, it's everything that they said, like, is they, uh, is we have them set up wherever they're going to, whether it's just down the road into sober living, you know, or it's back up to Maine or wherever they're from. And, um, uh, and in that mission, my life prior to them leaving, you know, any additional counseling that they need is already set up for them. And in there, any, any additional appointments that they need is set up all the way down to having a sponsor, a local support network, uh, whatever it is they need in their areas. And also we have a lot of stuff uh, online through Warriors Anonymous and, uh, you know, Zoom calls and everything. So we have a strong alumni program. Uh, we have several different ways that uh, alumni can contact each other, you know, and contact us. And, uh, because we know what they do at Warrior's Heart when they come in for the uh, inpatient treatment is just like basic training. You know, it gives the, you the fundamentals that you'll need in order to survive and thrive, you know, out in the regular world. But however, just like basic training, you know, there was much more to learn after that. And, um, and so we just uh, support them along the way, the best way that we can. All right. I love that. Um, going back to the in inpatient portion of the program, uh, can a family member or a spouse attend a portion of the inpatient program in support of the word? Do you, do you, uh, allow that or is that part of the program that you have there? Yeah. So we, we have a family programming aspect. Uh, you know, we all know what happened when COVID hit. Um, so a lot of that moved to online and is still online. A lot of it is done. Our family programming is done in the individual counseling sessions you know, with the family, uh, you know, as the country continues to get better and restrictions and all, all of that, you know, are, are, are lifted safely, you know, then we'll be able to create where we have the family programming uh, as part of our curriculum again. And uh, right now we just have to do it, uh, you know, via the internet and on video, but eventually we'll get back to where where we can actively do our family programming every Saturdays uh, out at Warriors Heart. Yeah, I'll be. I think all of us will be ready for back to crazy normal, right? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah, we're waiting. We're, we can't wait. Um, how does somebody get enrolled in Warriors Heart? What does that look like? What's What's required on your end or from their end? Uh, how, how does that happen? How do you get enrolled in Warriors Heart? Yeah. So. Again, it's about to meet them where they're at because everybody's at a different. So just step-by-step-wise is like if you go to warriorsheart.com, uh, there'll be a phone number. Uh, and on that phone number, which is 866-868-9383, you call that number and you get hold, a hold of one of our, what we call an admissions advocate. Uh, and we call them admissions advocate because from that moment that conversations begins, that admissions advocate will be doing that for you, and that is advocating for your health. Uh, so individual at that point in time, then the advocate takes over. And when I say takes over, meaning 
again, I go back to the full spectrum of the people that the warriors that come to us, you know, because uh, someone who is homeless uh, needs different requirements uh, from financial uh, to physical, whatever they need, all the way down to the difference to say someone uh, who's an active uh, firefighter, you know, so that the the key hub for what is needed next uh, is the admissions advocates, and that's exactly what they do. Thank you, Tom. Um, can you talk about um, the success rate of your program and how you measure the success of Warriors Heart? Yeah. So the the success rate uh, that we have right now is uh, is and, and and I hate using numbers, but it's right around it hovers around sixty percent. Mm-hmm. Meaning of those that come to us uh, get cleaned up, get trained up, and get and stay sober. Uh, and stay sober, confident warriors. Um, but I want to add with that, that that that's number one, an incredible number. And number two, I want to add that, you know, that's included folks that, uh, you know, are, that are now almost five years sober that were some of our first clients all the way to the folks that just graduated yesterday. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's a big, mm-hmm. a big gap in there as far as, uh, you know, what success uh, where we measure absolute success is in a couple of couple of ways. Uh, number one is is that uh, no one has ever not received treatment at Warriors Heart due to lack of funds. That's a huge win for us. Um, and then the second huge win, uh, which is a bit unheard of in the industry, is is that you know if our warriors do have a relapse uh, or they do run into problems, you know, and have a relapse. Uh, almost immediately, uh, they call us. Uh, and, and the reason why I say that that's a, a huge, uh, huge win is because, you know, I've been in this uh, field and this industry of sobriety, you know, for 28 years. So I'm not going to say I've seen it all, but I've seen a good amount. And what usually happens when, uh, when someone relapses, uh, is they've, are full of shame, guilt, remorse, and you and you won't hear from them, you know, for for months. Uh, and um, and then we have the complete opposite that happens because they feel uh, so loved and cared for and uh, and strength, you know, while they were at Warrior's Heart, you know, they they don't hesitate to to call us back uh, immediately, and then. Again, providing assistance for whatever it is that they need, and uh, so those are the those are the huge wins mm-hmm. uh, for me, us as an organization, and for me personally. Sure. Well, it speaks to the level of trust that they establish once they're you know they've gone through your program too, um, which is is Absolutely. fantastic. Yeah. Um, and that all mm-hmm. comes from, and that all comes from our staff. You know, mm-hmm. at Warriors Heart. I mean, from the obviously from the clinicians, but from the admissions advocates, that the first person that they talk to, uh, to Lisa who cleans their room for them, to the chef that's making the food. Mm-hmm. Just every member of the staff has a cre- has a key and critical component uh, of that warrior's healing, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what their job description is. You know, and we have. That's what makes Warriors Heart amazing. Yes, is our location, and yes, it's our modalities and our curriculum. But on top of all of that, uh, it would not be possible uh, without the love, care, support, 
passion, you know, of our staff. Right, right. Well, human interaction is is so important, <laughs> and Absolutely it sounds like key. from you know the time that they make contact till the time that they leave, they really feel cared for, which is great, and um, speaks to the sure. volume of success for sure. Um, well, Tom, do you have any plans for expansion in the future? We do, you know, because um, where we where we set in right now is we probably have anywhere between twenty and thirty folks on the waiting list. Uh, which is on one hand is like, wow, you know, people just really want to come to Warriors Heart because of what we do there. Uh, but then on the other hand, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of scary because uh, folks need help whenever they need it. So that's, you know, we've uh, always known how big the need is out there for what specifically Warriors Heart does. And um, so, yes, we are looking to expand um, and we hope to begin that. Uh, you know, this year we're getting uh, with an expansion there in Bandera that we're doing. And then we're also looking on the East Coast, you know, around Florida and South Carolina uh, area. So, um, yeah, we absolutely uh, plan on expanding Warrior's Heart because the demand is so great. Right. Well, we will keep our eyes and ears open for for that news. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Y'all are in the right spot there. We are. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, Tom, you talked a little bit earlier. Um, for those who were looking to get enrolled in Warriors Heart, you shared your website and also your telephone number. For our listeners mm-hmm. that are listening to this podcast, I'm sure they can learn more about Warriors Heart by going to your website. But is there a uh, an article or a feature or anything out there that uh, y- you you all are proud of that kind of hits the mission and 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 the impact that Warriors Heart makes? Anything that you want to share with our listeners to, to learn more about there, Yeah, there's a uh, Black Rifle Coffee, and I don't have the links handy, but Black Rifle Coffee did two uh, video series for us. Uh, one of them is On Warrior's Heart uh, by Black Rifle Coffee, uh, and the other one they did, uh, which was on me, so Black Rifle Coffee, Tom Spooner, and, uh, but of course talks you know predominantly about Warrior's Heart. So those two... Um, those two videos, you know, um, you know, really well go over everything that we just uh, were talking about. Well, that's great. We will definitely list those um, in the section of our podcast. We always list resources, Tom, and we will certainly put okay. Warrior's Heart, um, the, the link to that, and then also these resources with Black Rifle Company that will um, give people a little bit more of an insight, which is awesome. Um yeah, that'll that'll be really good, and they're really entertaining too. Okay, I mean, they cool. do some great work. <laughs> awesome, very cool. Well, Tom, do you do you have a message that you wish to share with anyone who is struggling with addiction or dependency, and anything that you would like to to say to them and to our listeners out there? Yeah, the biggest the biggest message that uh, that I can have is twofold: is uh, Number one is for the individual, uh, you know, to not give up, uh, keep fighting, uh, and keep searching, uh, for help and, and you'll find it, um, for sure. And then number two, uh, would be the same message, uh, to family, friends, and loved ones, uh, of those that are, uh, you know, really not doing well. And that'd be the same thing, you know, stay in the fight with that, uh, you know, don't give up 
and to just keep fighting for them, you know, and um, that would be the two main messages. Okay. Well, those are very important messages. And I think one of the other follow-up questions I have, Tom, is um, there probably aren't many families out there that have not experienced some sort of um, alcoholism, drug addiction, um, some sort of struggle in regards to that. And I do you have anything to say or any advice to share for those that maybe feel like they are just so tired, you know, and, and just feel like they've done everything they possibly can for their family member, um, just continuing to stand in support of, of their efforts? And, you know, how do, how do we help people that are just exhausted from trying to help? Yeah, that's a great point because it is very exhausting. And uh, the thing that I that I would say to that aspect, you know, is uh, is just like there's organizations that that you know take care of, like like Warriors Heart that's talking about taking care of the warriors. You know, there's other really wonderful organizations and wonderful human beings, uh, you know, that that are about uh, providing support you know, to the family members uh, and to those that are kind of in this fight of helping those that, you know, help us, you know, and protect us. And, um, and that's what I would, you know, say to them is, is that, you know, don't forget that you, you know, you have to take care of yourselves um, because that's really the only way to keep going on uh, because this problem isn't going to go away. Um, You know, so, so we always have to remember the only way that we can continue fighting for others uh, is to take care of ourselves. Uh, and sometimes that means, you know, taking a break of taking care of others just so we can refuel uh, and, and, you know, create sustained operations uh, because we love doing it and because they deserve it. Right. Right. Well, you also mentioned something that really stood out to me earlier too, was that, um, the individual has to be willing, right? I mean, there there has to be a level of willingness that happens in order for them to get to their end game and and be the person that they want to be. So, um, yeah. If mm-hmm. if there's one thing, just like you mentioned, Sherry, is uh, you know the the folks that need help, there's not really a lot they're bringing to the table, you know. But mm-hmm. but the one thing that they can bring. Uh, and it's a must, uh, is that willingness. If someone is not willing uh, to receive or uh, get help, uh, then there's nothing that anyone can do for them. Yeah. Um, because we have, to, we have to choose life. Uh, we have to choose to buy into our own existence. Uh, and choose to fight for that, you know, which is what, like you said, is that willingness. You know, uh, I have to be willing uh, to seek help for it to occur. Um, you know, because a lot of times uh, a family member, you know, will, let's say, uh, seek help just just for the other family member, you know, and that never works. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just a fact, you know, but back to your point is the absolute point, uh, Sherry, and that is, is that, you know, willingness uh, is a must. 
Thank you so much, Tom. Tom, thank you for sharing your passion, your story, your heart, um, and and this fantastic organization, Warriors Heart, which, uh, again, Sherry and I both know works, and uh, we're just so happy and and thankful that that you've come on to do this podcast today. So thank you so much. You're absolutely welcome, and thank you for having me. Yes, sir. And before we go... <laughs> going to go do a little lighthearted what's your favorite so we have a few okay. for you yeah kind of lighten it up a I'm bit ready. so uh i think i'm ready anyway you ready okay all <laughs> yeah. right we'll see um what is one of your favorite or is your favorite way to recharge your batteries the favorite way to recharge my batteries is uh with my family now, are you talking about like uh, like regular recharging batteries, like my iPhone and stuff? Or are you talking about my internal? No, Tom, I don't care about your iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my attempt at some light humor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, what what really what really does recharge me is doing uh, you know spending time with my family mm-hmm. uh, because I. Uh, because I work so much and because of different stuff that I do is, uh, you know, with my wife and with my sons, uh, and with my extended family, like going out to, uh, my uncle has some property and, you know, all the guys will get out and, and we'll do some, uh, shoot clay pigeons, you know, we'll go fishing. Yeah. Uh, but that's really where I get filled back up is, you know, spending time with family and friends, uh, just doing, just doing fun stuff. You know, it doesn't have to be anything big or some big vacation or anything. Just, you know, that quality. You know, I'm just a cheesy old school guy, you know, where I love just spending quality time and and hanging out. Nice. Great priorities. Um, you're, You're a man who's traveled the world, I would imagine. You've been to a lot of places, some places you don't ever want to go back to. But, (laughs) right. uh, (laughs) right. But uh, what stands out as far as a place that, Maybe before you visited, you had a preconceived notion, but after you visited, you were like, wow, you know what? That place was really cool. I wouldn't mind going back there. What would be that favorite unexpected place you visited? Uh, that would, uh, for me, would be uh, Colombia, the country. Uh, you know, it was just, uh, I loved the, the culture, the, the food, uh, the passion of the people. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit dangerous. I wouldn't take my family there, you know, uh, but it was, uh, mm-hmm. back to your question, it was one of the places that I really didn't know that I would uh, love as much as I do the the beauty of the country and everything. I mean, it's, that would probably be that. Yeah. I've seen some documentaries uh, on Columbia, and uh, I echo the part of I don't want to take my family there, but I was also kind of captured by how beautiful it is. So, and you, you visit. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, how about favorite? What is your favorite book? If you're a reader, what what book stands out to you? Uh, what's my favorite book? Man, that's a good one. Uh, I know on the uh, on the military side. Let's see, what would it be? One of the one of the first books that like made a really big impact on me, uh, just when I was first starting on kind of this journey, was a. Uh, that book, The Road Less Traveled, uh, that was a really good one. 
Uh, and then on the military side is getting uh, press fields at Gates of Fire uh, is awesome book. And then, because I'm never short of books, I read a lot of books, but I, I also, man, found something that was super helpful for me and is enjoyed to read is that uh, Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. I actually have that sitting on my desk. That's the only reason why I picked it up so fast. Cool. I just purchased that book, um, Tom, so I'm anxious to read it. Oh, it's that. great. <clears throat> it's yeah. a great book. I like the title. That's very uplifting. And uh, The Road Less Traveled is a, is a famous oldie. And I actually read a book by the same author. Um, it was very interesting. It was kind of like about the afterlife. And anyway, I won't get into it, but it was just fascinating. <laughs> very fascinating. Good, good writer. Um, how about what is your favorite holiday memory? Favorite holiday memory? But I would say the majority of my favorite holiday memories are of Thanksgiving. Mm. Uh, out at my uncle's farm, it's a it's a big farm, and uh, you know, extended family and friends, and you know, and, and and you know, regular family there, just you know, thirty, forty of us, just everybody having fun. Uh, and it's before Christmas, you know, so you don't have the stress of the gifts and everything, you know. Yeah. But it's the same crew there doing the same things, and uh, but that was that's always been my favorite is Thanksgiving, and uh, you know, and just that whole that whole family piece being together. Doesn't have anything to do with uh, the NFL and pumpkin pie, does it? <laughs> uh, well, you know, those are always good, uh, good add-ons. Yeah. 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 I'm in agreement with you, Tom. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday as well. I, I think that, you know, the biggest pressure that I feel on Thanksgiving day is putting the meal on the table. But apart from that, it's just, <laughs> right. you know, it's just a relaxing day. It really yeah. and truly is. And and being able to have family and extended family and just having your house full, um, I, I love that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just being grateful, you know, I mean, it's, it's super awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Tom, thank you very, very much again for your time today. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you and learn about your story, but also about you know, warrior's heart, and we will continue to, um, you know, support our EOD techs and warriors that actually may be in need of assistance of, of what warrior's heart offers. And we will, you know, continue to advocate for your organization as, as we know that it has helped so many. Mm -hmm. Thank Thank you you so much. And we deeply appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.